You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, what's up? Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg. I'm here with the Washington Post's Ben Golliver, recording from a hotel in Oakland following the Warriors' route of the Grizzlies. Coming up on the show, Austin Rivers wants to go to the playoffs, and James Harden leads the Rockets to their fourth straight win. But let's start right here in Oakland, where the Warriors beat the Grizzlies 110-93. Ben, Steve Kerr talked before the game about how he was looking forward to this matchup because the Grizzlies make you focus on each possession, which has been an issue this year for the Warriors. It seems like that's what happened tonight, though, for Golden State. Well, first of all, welcome to the presidential suite at the Four Seasons. You know, <laughs> we're obviously living large here. The Locked On NBA budget is just, you know, crushing it uh, for, <laughs> for this live podcast. Um, Golden State came out with a purpose early, and they had a lot more talent, and it wasn't really close. I mean, I felt bad for Memphis because, you know, Conley didn't play. Mm-hmm. And they're just a totally different team when he's not out there. And I think if you're going to be in any sort of a game against you know a team with three, four all-star players, you need to have your best guys out there. And it seemed like Golden State actually decided to care for once. You know, that hasn't always been their MO here recently. And the game was basically over before it started. Yeah, I think key for the Warriors was the bench production. Uh, Jonas Drebko, Andre Iguodala combined for seven made three-pointers. That's going to be a recipe for success for the Warriors when the bench is really playing like that, especially when Memphis's bench didn't play so well. And then, for again, for the Warriors, a lack of turnovers. 10 turnovers uh, versus Memphis's 16. Golden State scored 27 points off of the Grizzlies' turnovers. The Grizzlies only scored 13 points off of the Warriors' turnovers. And so, for me, it felt sort of like, look, you know how the Warriors get every once in a while. They're going to get up and rambunctious, and they start making dumb passes and stuff like that. So when Kerr says... You know, the slowed down pace actually could help them. I think that's true because it did seem like they were a little bit more deliberate in their offense, and that helps them. And and, and that showed tonight, especially in, you mentioned not having Mike Conley. I thought that was huge for, for the Grizzlies. Just they the offense never looked like it was in sorts. They played inside out, specifically trying to go to Jaron Jackson Jr. early on. Uh, he I think he missed his first five shots. Look, yeah. Golden State did a great job on Jaron Jackson Jr. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they read this scouting report, which says... You know, get underneath him, force him into sort of the, the tougher mid-range stuff, keep him away from the, the basket area, keep a body on him, and then close out if he gets an open shot. And, and he really had to uh, settle pretty much all game long for sort of, you know, middling efficiency shots or lower efficiency shots, and he just really wasn't on. That's just a tough matchup for him, too. I mean, I've seen Draymond take out, you know, Porzingis, like when he was a rookie. I mean, these these different guys come through here, and I think, Guys like Draymond and Katie maybe take a little bit of pride in the idea of like, oh, this guy's young. We're going to show him like what all NBA defense looks like, what the real standard is going to be for him. And, you know, obviously Jaron's what, 19 years old? It's going to be his league in like maybe seven years. But guys like Katie and, and, and Draymond, it's more like, you know, welcome to the NBA pup, you know? In the other NBA TV game tonight, the Rockets beat the Jazz 102-97. Utah erased an 18-point lead, tying the game with two minutes left, but James Harden scored 13 of Houston's 19 fourth-quarter points, including the Dagger 3 with 13 seconds left. He finished with 47 points, 6 rebounds, and 5 assists. The Rockets have now won four straight games, matching their longest win streak of the season. And the Rockets are now 15-14. and 14. They're half a game out of the playoffs. I'm not quite ready to say everything is fine, Ben, in Houston, but they've had some pretty nice uh, and impressive wins recently. I kind of knew that's where you were going to go because, I, first of all, I'm happy for Houston and I'm worried for the rest of us, right? Because, first of all, I hate to see when teams really disappoint and play below their standards. And the fact that they're back around 500 is a start. And we know that this should be a team that's, you know, home court advantage type team in the Western Conference. I'm just worried, though, 
Are they going to backdoor all the way into another Western Conference Finals? And if so, isn't that the matchup we definitely do not want to see? I mean, I think of all the possible Western Conference Finals matchups. If it's the Lakers versus the Warriors, the Thunder versus the Warriors, even the Nuggets versus the Warriors, I think it would be a quick series, but it would be an entertaining series. The one that I do not want to see is the rematch of a classic Western Conference Finals where Houston's just not as good as they were and we all have to kind of pretend and get excited about a series that's going to be over in five games. I'm completely on board for LeBron's Lakers versus the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. I think that's what everybody secretly actually wants. Um, We're going to talk about teams that might make moves later on. The Lakers could be one of them by the trade deadline. Who knows? I think think LeBron smells blood. I think that's why, you know, you get a guy... (laughs) Like uh, uh, Tyson Chandler on the buyout market, you know, when he LeBron goes into the season preaching patience, and then Tyson Chandler comes up and he's like, "No, go get that guy." What well, pushing for Trevor Ariza? They didn't quite get it. Was the clue that he smells blood that he tried to trade uh, KCP during a press conference? I mean, didn't that pretty much happen a few days ago? I can't believe he took so much crap for that too, because he got KCP paid. I don't KCP can't be mad about anything right now. Um, to go back to the Rockets, their defensive rating was from the, went from the bottom five in the league. The 13th over the last four games. Small sample size, of course, but that is good. Um, the offensive rating is up a little bit of a tick, um, even though it's been good all year. But really, to me, the difference over the last four games is James Harden. 29 points, 50 points, 32 points, 47 points. This guy just won the MVP. He's in line to be in an all, the all-NBA first team again. He's averaging more than 30 points a game right now this season. The guy's awesome. It's just the rest of the team is not as awesome as they were last year. I saw some people trying to do the let's rewrite Harden's MVP award like we some people rewrote Westbrook's MVP award. I mean, to me, there's no comparison. First of all, Harden had uh, a more impressive all-around season to me last year during his MVP year, taking them to 65 wins and the Western Conference Finals. I thought he was solid, uh, if not you know above average in the playoffs last year, even though there's a lot of people out there who are sort of detractors for his, his playoff performance. I mean, certainly he was playing more meaningful games than Westbrook did the previous year in the playoffs. But I'm glad to see the real James Harden back. And I do think some of it has to do with like, okay, Chris Paul's back on the court, kind of working back into it. They're able to play off each other. I mean, it's just tough to be a one-man offense. And when Paul wasn't really out there doing much, he was kind of dead weight early in the season or he was missing games. Now everybody's king on Harden. That's a tough place to be. And even for, you know, one of the top three playmakers in the NBA, uh, it's good to see him rolling and, and shake off you know, some of these critics, because I feel like Harden's got these critics who are just lurking in alleys, like ready to just like pounce and be like, oh, Harden's overrated. He's a cheap player. All of his, you know, textbook moves are just flops and fakes and and travels and, and trying to, you know, kind of undercut what he's capable of doing. And, you know, to me, he's still, you know, a top five player in the league, you know, all around. And it's good that he's playing like it. Yeah, you mentioned all those bag of tricks. He had that the double step back three tonight, which is a new one. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the point about the MVP thing because I really don't. I, I saw that. I it would be so bad if we just fell into this this habit of let's give the MVP to this guy and then the next year just immediately regret it and just have like this post MVP thing. Um, you're right, Westbrook. I get that one. The Harden thing. He was the best player in the regular season last season. Let's just let's give him the credit. He's been really good this season. Um, Austin Rivers got the mellow treatment. He was waived before ever playing a game for a team that he was just traded to. We're going to talk about potential landing spots for him after this break. Let's get to some headlines from around the league. Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that the Suns will buy out Austin Rivers after acquiring him in the Trevor Ariza deal with the Wizards. Rivers will become a free agent after he clears waivers. He's reportedly seeking to join a playoff team, of course. What team do we think could use Rivers' services, Ben? Well, before we get to that, 
You know who could have used his services? The Phoenix Suns. That's why they traded for him. And so I think this feels to me like a situation where he just didn't want to be there. And rather than get into an ugly back and forth about another player who doesn't want to be in Phoenix. So rather than him coming out and saying, oh, I don't want to be here. uh, They just kind of sent him out the side door and and let him go about his uh, way. But if you look at this whole trade now, Trevor Ariza is a quality player. Yes, he's making too much money this season, but he's a quality rotation player for a playoff team. All you're going to be able to get for him is Kelly Oubre. I mean, you didn't even want Kelly Oubre in the original deal. <laughs> so to me, it just the, the takeaway from this Austin Rivers fiasco, it's, it's just almost compounds the Brooks fiasco of not knowing which player they were trading for. And it really just undercuts any confidence you might have had in Phoenix's front office. In terms of where I want him to land, though, Houston. We just talked about Houston. They have a huge need there. I could see the Sixers wanting to add another body. I could actually see him fitting pretty well uh, in Milwaukee. I mean, I just think that they could use more bodies, although they've got a bunch of guards and they just got George Hill. Um, The Lakers, I I mean, maybe they wouldn't want his personality, but like, would you rather have Austin Rivers or KCP? You know, if you could trade out KCP and just, you know, sign Rivers to a minimum or something, I could see there being interest there. I also love this theory that the Clippers are going to bring him back. Yep, what yep. do you think about that? Um, that would be awesome. That would be the ultimate kind of swindle, right? Because they traded him <laughs> to Washington just like a couple months ago, but because they're not the ones that waived him, Washington or, or because not because they weren't the ones that traded him and they didn't waive him, they could still sign him. I think it's a little. It, it might be a little tough. They're trying to get Shea Gilgis Alexander as many minutes as possible. They still Jerome Robinson there, who they also took in the lottery. I kind of like. Toronto is a landing spot. Ooh. Their bench hasn't been super great this year. As it was a strength for them last year. They could use him. I think you, you could either take some of Fred Van Vliet's minutes, who's not been as great as he was last year, or even play next to Fred Van Vliet. I, I think they, those two guys could play together in the backcourt. Here's a wild card for you. The Warriors only have 14 guys under oh, contract. Oh, boy. They love getting these minimum guys. They love even more, Ben, to get the league pissed off. This would piss off the league. A, a, t- a guy like Austin Rivers is perfect because everybody's like doesn't really love him until the Warriors grab him and then they get upset. The league's broken. It's unfair. How can you have DeMarcus Cousins and Austin Rivers on the same team? The Warriors are light years. Yeah, I'm not going to be in the in that group. You know, angry about it. That would be pretty funny. I mean, he's if you can get him on a minimum, he's a good player. The one thing that I do think we should point out about Austin. Was he a little bit of a locker room lawyer in Washington? I mean, it felt like he had a very loud voice in post-game press conferences where you've got guys like Wall and Beal who should sort of be the voices for the team. And here's Austin out there saying stuff like, people are laughing at us. Our defense is horrendous. We don't bring it night to night. We don't have an urgency. I mean, I almost wonder if he talked his way out of town in Washington. I also kind of wonder how do the other locker rooms around the league view how that played out yeah he's talked his way out of two towns in two days basically well with that being said undercutting everything i just said houston should really try to get him <laughs> they they could really use them yeah. and i you know it's it's already kind of a weird situation down there they took a chance on a guy like Mello, who probably had some similar questions to the ones i just raised personality wise but in terms of like pure basketball skills and abilities austin would help them there's no doubt yeah there's a lot of teams that could be looking to make moves, too. December 15th was a key date because it marked the day that most players who sign contracts over the summer can become eligible to be traded. We've already had one trade go down, the Austin Rivers one. Um, but what other teams could use a trade that you expect maybe being aggressive here um, between now and the trade deadline? I would start with Washington, the team that uh, traded the two guy, uh, you know, traded the two guys out. 
they didn't trade out the guys they were supposed to have traded. <laughs> I mean, Otto Porter, Bradley Beal, John Wall, to me, that mix is uh, kind of tenuous at best. And they should be looking to really retool rather than just kind of continue to patch these band-aids onto the rotation, which is kind of what I view Trevor Ariza for them. Mm-hmm. Um, if not them, Philly could use some help. Uh, I think people know about their depth concerns. Uh, you know, you compare them to like Toronto. I agree with you. Toronto's bench, like Toronto's best units have been the starting lineup. I mean, their their main starting lineup has been just phenomenal. Uh, can you add, add an extra piece in there to help? I mean, the, the window was wide open for them to make the finals this year, so they should be aggressive. They feel like a team that could consolidate a couple of these bench guys and upgrade. Even if it's not like upgrade to like a big time starter guy, upgrade even just to a bench guy. No, I hear you. I think another team that could use some help would be Milwaukee. Um, you know, they did the opposite, right? They consolidated two bench guys to go trade for a George Hill. They were already kind of thin. Can you go and, and bring another piece back in to, uh, you know, to fill that hole? And same thing with Philadelphia, by the way. They did the consolidation two for one for Jimmy Butler. They were already thin, too. So maybe they can use a piece. Uh, the team that I want to see make move, though, is Houston more than anybody. Because if they continue middling... And, and really just not getting back up where they should be, I would just worry, what does ownership do at that stage? They look at this group and say, we're paying an awful lot of money for a team that's not a contender. Why are we doing that? And do they start to do a sell-off? I would way rather that they are in that contender group rather than a team that gets broken up, right? Like, don't you have to consider in February the possibility of trading Chris Paul if you're not in the playoff picture? That guy's making tons and tons and tons of money. It's a very similar situation to like what the Clippers were looking at last year with Blake Griffin. Um, and that would be a shame. Like I feel like this Rockets group had more than just one really nice run in them. And so I guess I'm of the opinion that if they're kind of at this crossroads of like, well, are we good enough? Are we not good enough? Go for it. Like, let's be aggressive. Let's try to add some more pieces. Keep cycling new guys in until you find one that really works. The Chris Paul trading Chris Paul idea is really interesting to me because Daryl Moore, we know, is aggressive. Like, he's not one to just be like, all right, this is kind of what it is. He's If he doesn't like what it is, he's going to make a move. He's going to change some things. I hadn't thought about that. Another team, Chris Paul's old team, New Orleans, they have been aggressive. They were aggressive getting DeMarcus Cousins, of course. That didn't work out. That wasn't their fault necessarily. It was an Achilles situation. They've been aggressive with going and getting Nikola Mirotic. Not as big a name as Boogie. We know that they were in the Jimmy Butler conversations, or at least trying to get into those conversations. I expect they're going to try to make a move. They kind of have to make a move. They're worried about the Anthony Davis thing, and rightfully so. If they don't make the playoffs this year, they really got to start thinking about what they're doing with Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis has got to start thinking what he's doing in New Orleans. So New Orleans, to me, is another team, and kind of another team in the same boat, Charlotte. What do they do? Because if, they, if, if they're not super in, like, locked into a playoff spot in the East, they've got to make a move to help Kemba Walker, or, to your point, uh, what, like what Houston might have to do with Chris Paul, they might have to move on from Kemba Walker. Yeah, I feel like Charlotte will always do the most depressing thing, which is probably just sit on their hands or make some minor additions that aren't really going to make a difference. And just go about, you know, continue being mediocre, unfortunately. Um, you were mentioning New Orleans being aggressive. Were they aggressive or are they just wild? Like, are they just always up to stuff down there and they don't really have a plan? I think that's a big part of the problem. Um, if I were them, I would be managing my team under the assumption that Anthony Davis will request a trade this summer, right? Because if they don't make the Western Conference Finals uh, at that point, he, you know, he's already older than LeBron James was when LeBron made the decision in 2010. Wow. So we think of Anthony Davis as this prodigy, like this young guy. We've been talking about, oh, what can he be in the future? Well, what is he right now? He's a guy who's won one playoff series in his entire career. 
and is looking to you know, take over the planet and become the best player in the world. That's what he told us at the start of the season. Is that going to happen in New Orleans? Probably not. But if you're the Pelicans, you have to be pursuing every possible avenue to put a winner around Anthony Davis right now, because otherwise the eject button is just right around the corner. We've got our locked on line of the night, and then it's time to get cereal. That's coming up next. Before we get to our locked on line of the night, let's check in on the other scores from Monday. The, Buc- the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Detroit Pistons 107 to 104. The Phoenix Suns beat the Knicks 128 to 110. Utah loses to the Rockets 97 to 102. The Timberwolves beat the Kings 132 to 105. The Thunder beat the Chicago Bulls like everybody is nowadays 121 to 96. Spurs get a nice win over the 76ers 123 to 96. We mentioned the Warriors over the Grizzlies, 110-93. And then the Portland Trailblazers behind Damian Lillard's 39 points beat the Clippers, 131-127. to Can I just say quickly, uh, open floor uh, listeners will know that I'm, I'm pretty hard on Devin Booker often. Uh, he went off against the Knicks tonight, and then he went off on Enos Cantor on Twitter afterwards, I believe, basically <laughs> telling the world that their offensive game plan was just to run, pick, and roll at Enos Cantor over and over again. For people who have been watching Enos Cantor play pick-and-roll defense for the entirety of his career, that was one of the funniest moments in social media history. Just right out in the open, airing another player's dirty laundry for everybody to sort of laugh at him. I I can't believe I'm saying this. I almost feel bad for Enos Cantor. <laughs> <laughs> well, Devin Booker joins Billy Donovan's club of just can't play Cantor. This is the new. This is the 2018 version of can't play Cantor. It's absolutely phenomenal. We gotta love it. That's NBA Twitter at its finest. Um, you mentioned Booker's line. He is one of the candidates for our Locked On line of the night. You've got Devin Booker's 38 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists. James Harden, we talked about earlier, 47 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. Giannis, big night for him, of course, 32 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists. Westbrook had a triple-double, nobody cares. LaMarcus Aldridge, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 blocks for Aldridge. Um, Lillard, 39 points, made 6 of his 7 three-pointers. He had 6 assists. Tobias Harris, all-star whispers for him, 39 points on 22 shots, 11 rebounds. Everybody's Emmanuel. getting numbers tonight, man. <laughs> Emmanuel Moutier, 32 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Who's your lock on line tonight? I got to give it to Harden. Anytime you're getting 47, I mean, and that's not even his best game of the week, right? He had a, a 50-point triple-double, so, I mean, Harden is in a groove right now. I'm giving it to Emmanuel Moutier because Ooh. this is the only time he's going to win it this year, so I'm just giving it to Moutier. I think he can use some love. Yeah, he scored 32. That might have been, like, triple his previous career high. I think it was triple his <laughs> previous career total. Um, finally, uh, we've got four games tonight Cleveland at Indiana at 7 p.m. Washington and Atlanta at 7:30. The Lakers are in Brooklyn at 7:30 and then Dallas at Denver at 9 p.m. which one deserves your bowl of cereal Ben? I'm not sure any of these qualify for breakfast period. I mean I I'm not even really a breakfast guy so this is like the kind of night for people who aren't breakfast people because yeah. there's just nothing edible on this slate although with one exception the cereal game of the night is Dallas versus Denver. I mean for if I was a Balkan filmmaker, which I'm not, but if I was, I would be very carefully tracking this game with Jokic and Doncic because we are looking at a potential where you know two of the best playmakers, uh, you know, in the NBA are going to be from the same little region of the world and completely different styles, completely different sizes, body types. I mean, everything. Um, it's just phenomenal how they play. I love how both those guys play basketball and. I will be tuning in. I expect a lot of points, a lot of fun highlights. And one little tidbit for you, you know Jokic is on pace to become the first seven-footer to average seven assists per game 
since Wilt Chamberlain wow. in like the early 1960s. We should be talking about that more. Yeah. That feels pretty amazing. That was that those early 1960s Wilt Chamberlains was like he was he had a triple double every night basically. Um, look, Jokic is must watch TV at this point on League Pass, and then Doncic is must watch TV. Like he's getting to that point because you don't know what he's going to do, especially in the fourth quarter for him. Um, they've both been phenomenal this year. Jokic, can we get some MVP chatter going for Ooh. him for real? Because Denver's pretty good, and he's the best player on that team. It's a great point, and they've had a lot of strife. I mean, they've got guys dropping left and right with injuries, and usually in the past, especially with young teams, and Denver's still pretty young, you know, a guy like Millsap goes out, boom, you know, that's your season. Or Will Barton goes down right at the beginning. Everybody starts looking around saying, oh, we didn't expect this. Oh, we've got this adversity. What do we do? You go down. Give him credit for keeping the whole thing together throughout those injuries and to continue playing amazing basketball. I just love his style because much like a point guard, he is naturally unselfish. He was born to be an unselfish player. He's not playing unselfish for the cameras. Like, oh, I'm just going to throw these cool passes because I can. He genuinely wants his team to succeed from all five spots, not just from him. And sometimes you almost wish he was more selfish, do more offensively for himself. But if you had to choose between the two, I'll take the guy who is like, you know, 99.9 percentile unselfish with incredible vision and and amazing uh, height to sort of see over the defenses, read the defenses almost like a quarterback and just pick you apart. And he has, and by the way, I appreciate the subtle dig at Russell Westbrook there, but I do. (laughs) Um, He has shown a little bit of a tendency to get a little bit more aggressive when guys like Barton and Gary Harris and and Jamal Murray have missed a few games here and there. He is willing to do it, which is why the Nuggets are in the position where they're at. Um, But that's all we have for today. Make sure to subscribe to uh, to Locked on NBA on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review while you're there. Thanks to Ben for jumping on. And check out his writing over at the Washington Post and, of course, um, the Open Floor Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.